uh, man, what would it be like if society like totally broke down right. and we lost electricity, Everything. lost yeah. internet? Like, how long could I last right. in that in that sort of a situation? The truth is, like, not very damn long. <laughs> Good morning, Bankless Nation. David, what time is it? Oh, Ryan, it's the Friday weekly roll-up time where we roll up the entire week in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we do it anyways, nonetheless, because it's always the best show of the week, at least in my opinion. Happy uh, Happy New Year, man. This is our first show of 2022. How are you feeling first, about this year so far? God, already a very bumpy, wild week <laughs> for the first yeah. week of, of, of 2022. Uh I'm kind of uh, kind of thinking that 2022 is going to be way crazier, uh, and I think we're yeah cra- crazier all around. And yeah, yeah, I, I, it I, started it started off that way, okay? Like mm-hmm. market volatility. By the way, man, like my power was off for like two days, okay, 48 hours. You're right. Uh, the you're AI was down. Yeah, see, I totally down, man. Everything about me was down, and um, yeah, it, so there was that. And then yesterday. So I, um, my internet turned off again midday. I ran downstairs to go check my router. I slipped and fell on my staircase, and, like <laughs> fell straight on my back, got the wind knocked out of me. And then I remember just like in between my breaths being like, oh my God, is this what 2022 is going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> Flat on my back, not able to breathe. Yeah. Uh, gosh. Yeah. It has felt like that in so many different respects. Yeah. Or maybe this is the worst week of 2022 and it's all up, up only. We'll up see. Up only from here. Up only. I don't know. We'll see. But guys, we are going to get into it. A few things on the agenda for today. We're going to talk about the Fed meeting. Okay. Jerome Powell strikes again. This time it's hitting crypto markets. We'll talk about that. That is the reason the markets are down in the dumps. Dumps. Also, OpenSea. Lots of stuff to talk about at OpenSea. A $13 billion valuation, but like one token, right? Uh, also, there's some drama about OpenSea maybe freezing NFTs. We're going to dig into that. And OpenSea also had a comeback month in December. We'll talk about that a little bit too. So tons of stuff to discuss today on the roll-up. Uh, David, before we get in, we got to talk a little bit about our friends at On Juno. They wanted us to get the word out about these magical checking accounts, these checking accounts for crypto natives. You got to check this out. So um, David, I, I know you're like me, right? So like you have your Coinbase accounts, you have your Ethereum address where you do all your bankless things, but you still got your old-fashioned Wells Fargo account. Got to pay rent. And right. you have to, we're, we're not fully bankless, right? right? And so you have to maintain a traditional bank account if you want to do things in the in the real world. But the problem with your traditional bank account is it sucks. It sucks in particular for crypto natives. Like there's no way in Wells Fargo for me to purchase uh, Ethereum, or there's no way for me to receive a paycheck in Bitcoin or ETH. Uh, or get any totally yield at all. Yeah, it's totally disconnected. So on Juno is this cool, I guess, neo bank that is very much connected to the crypto world. It's a bank account, a checking account for crypto natives. And there's lots of cool things you can do with it. Um, the first is you could start to receive your paychecks in crypto, which that's a huge unlock. So you can earn paycheck with your uh, paycheck in crypto. You can also save, get 4% yields using USDC. You can also invest. You can buy crypto at zero fees. This is my account. I recently created one. Uh, and look, I mean, it has a, uh, a portfolio tab here that you can check out. You also get a card with this too, like a virtual card with a debit card. So it's like this crypto native bank account that um, straddles both worlds. I think it's going to be a nice hybrid solution for me moving forward. 
Um, there's some good news too for Bankless listeners. I think there's a, a $50 um, incentive to open up an Onjuno account. You wanna talk about that, David? Yeah, $50 if you use the code Bankless to sign up with Onjuno in your preferred crypto asset. And overall, like the UI on this on this uh, on Juno is just exactly the the UI I wish I had with my Wells Fargo account. Yeah, uh, so pretty awesome, guys. Go create that account. You guys can get started. There's a link in the show notes to that. And remember to use the code Bankless to get that fifty dollars off. Also, David, another PSA: the Ethereum um, research team is doing an AMA on Reddit tomorrow. I love those AMAs, man. Mm-hmm. There's so much learning that's that's dropped. Uh, where's that going to be? Is there a link in the show notes or something? Yeah, that'll. Uh, it, people will have to go to the R Ethereum subreddit in order to get that done. Uh, there's not a link yet, I do not believe, um, but it is happening at 1 p.m. UTC time, which I believe is. I think it's, it's probably just going to be going on all day uh, today, the day of uh, the listeners listening to this. If you are listening to this on Friday, um, but yeah, this will be in the R Ethereum uh, su- uh, Reddit. Um, I believe people are already asking questions. So in our Ethereum, yeah, there is already a link. We will we will have a link in the show notes. Uh, and people already are asking questions there. Uh, so we'll probably also pick out some of these responses, questions and responses, uh, and cover some of the best ones in the roll-up next week, probably. Um, but if you want to get your question asked or just read all of them, go ahead and go to the link in the show notes to check out the AMA. All right, let's get to markets, David. Bitcoin, Bitcoin time, the tumble, the sad music is playing. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin falls below 43K. It's even lower at the time of recording. Leads to 800 million in crypto liquidations. This is the headline. What's going on in Bitcoin world? Yeah, we had one of those big oof candles where we uh, fell from the high, high price of $46,000 down to $42,500, currently at $43,000. Overall down 7.5% on the week. Uh, kind of, uh, tra- I'm not a trader, we're not traders here, but there was uh, a trend line that Bitcoin broke through. You can see it here on the YouTube uh, here as well. Uh, we were really hoping to not break below $46,000, yet we did it anyways. Um, so here we are. Uh, traders are fearful. Uh, state of fear in the crypto markets right now. Flat on your back in 2022. <laughs> and how about ETH? Uh, what's going on with ETH prices? It looks like it's went the way of Bitcoin as well. Yeah, same same deal. Started the week at $3,800. It fell down to the low price of $3,330. Has currently climbed and reclaimed $3,400, but overall down 7% on the week. So an well, oof week in the crypto markets. Let's go through a few other metrics and let's just talk about what that what, what this means after that. But uh, let's take a look at the ratio. So the ETH to Bitcoin ratio, what's that looking like right now? Yeah, last week, it started the week at 0.08. We are at 0.079, so fell down below that 0.08 meme line. Um, nothing really much to report there. Overall, still looking okay. Still looking pretty good. Yeah. Not, not we'll have to complaints. monitor it. Yep. How about the bed index? So that's a, a third DeFi, a third uh, Bitcoin, and a third ETH. What are we looking at on the week? Started the week at $144, currently at $127, down 10%, 10.5% on the week, uh, which means that the DPI tokens took an even bigger hit than Bitcoin and, and Ether. Okay. So what's going on, man? What's happening in 2022? Should we talk about um, some of the Fed minutes? Because I think this is... You know, you can't always attribute uh, crypto market movements or even general market you usually movements cannot. to stories. You usually cannot. But in this case, I think you definitely can. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jerome Powell and the Fed had a meeting. They talked about shrinking the balance sheet. They talked about um, getting a bit more hawkish. 
including reiterating that they intended to raise the rates this year. I think the shrinking the balance sheet uh, statement was the, the one that caught the market most off guard and stocks tumbled, crypto tumbled along with it. All the risk on assets really went down as a result of this. Do you think this was the primary catalyst for the, uh, the wreckage that we saw over the last couple of days? I think the timing is pretty hard to ignore. Uh, it happened right at the release of the minutes. It happened at the same time as uh, traditional equities markets also took a tumble. Uh, so this happened across the board. Uh, this was correlated in all assets ever. Uh, and so just because of the, the nature of the money printer, all assets are kind of risk on assets at this moment. Uh, and so when the Fed says they're going to be raising interest rates, all assets take a tumble. So that's that's uh, I think it's a pretty clear connection. There are other um, expl possible explanations. We're going to get into this later in the show. Uh, Kazakhstan had a massive power outage, which caused Bitcoin to lose, I think, 13 percent of its hash power, which is pretty significant. Uh, and that can stoke some selling pressure from miners uh, if 13 percent hash power disappears, uh, miners can go risk off themselves. And that can also create uh, downward pressures for the whole rest of the market if if Bitcoin gets sold off in, in mass. Um, so it could could be other things as well. But th I think this one is definitely the, the hawkishness from the Fed, the, the possibility of raising interest rates beyond what the market expected. It's, it's got to be got to be in the lead for the biggest um, uh, reason why the markets took the tumble that they did. It's interesting. I think this is going to be a story to track all year, David. So talk about a theme of 2022. It's going to be what is the Fed doing, right? It's like last year, what were they doing? They were continuing to print money. It was kind of stasis. But this year, there's some uh, inflation pressures. Mm -hmm. The type of inflation the Fed cares about is CPI. That's what everyone notices. That's what politicians notice. And it's been 7% here recently uh, in the US. It's like 5% in, in uh, the euro, the ECB. Um, I, I read recently. So it's like inflation fears are causing central bankers to take a more hawkish stance. But they can only like they, they can only do that uh, so much because when the markets tumble like this in this way, that, that's also bad for the optics and, you know, also kind of um, against the, the principles that the Fed has of making sure that the, the economy continues to function. So it's kind of a rock in a hard place. And I think that'll be a major theme for 2022 is like, how does the Fed navigate this? How do they you know, string that line through the eye of the needle? 100%, 100%. It's going to be, well, well, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Watching them nav like thread that needle is going to be, it's probably, I, I kind of think it's an impossible needle to thread. And so seeing how they do it is always going to be interesting no matter what, because it kind of maybe can't be done. Uh, so the fallout from that is going to be interesting. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, something that was up and everything else was down is MetaMask users, active users been up. So 21 million monthly active users since April. And what's interesting about this from uh, Lee, oh, Lee Jin, so she's mm -hmm. coming on the podcast as well. We're going to talk about a number of things. Maybe we could bring this up. If you compare this to monthly active users of Facebook, it's close to 1%. It's point. It's 0.7% right now, MetaMask has versus Facebook. It's about 6% of Twitter's monthly active users, and it's about the rate of the number of internet users in 1996. Feels about right. What year is crypto in? Maybe it's 1996. Well, well uh, hang on. We got to control for users. population inflation. Uh, and so <laughs> it's true, actually yeah. got to be like 94, 93. Okay, 94, 93. And this is like, Monthly active users is only one measure, of course, of the usage of this thing. I, mm -hmm. I think because this is a, 
an internet of value, also market cap and, and the value and you know the fact that we're at $2 trillion is another fantastic measure of this whole thing. But what do you make of this, monthly active users on MetaMask? Mon- monthly active, MetaMask is a, it's a great signal because everyone uses MetaMask, uh, except for the Solana ecosystem. Even uh, if you're getting onboarded to Polygon, if you're getting onboarded to Avalanche, you're using MetaMask. Uh, pick your L2, you're using MetaMask. Uh, and so it's a pretty high signal of just very general rate of adoption. Uh, granted, like I have two computers, and so I have MetaMask on there twice. I also have MetaMask on my phone. Do I count as three? Probably, but it's directionally always a pretty good signal. It's kind of like the uh, the Netscape of the internet, if you will. That's that's really what MetaMask is uh, in a lot of ways. Um, let's talk about this too, David. There's this fantastic report from Electric Capital, and they do this every year. I feel like it gets better every year, more detailed. Uh, in a lot of ways. And what they try to do is they go through the uh, developer metrics from each of the ecosystems Mm -hmm. and track that over time. And so uh, there are a few highlights from this that maybe we want to get into. I'll start with the first one that I saw. And that is this. Um, Web3 developers are at all-time highs right now, okay? 18,400 developers. That's up. It's almost double from the start of 2021 so we kind of doubled the amount of developers in the web3 ecosystem in 2021 which is pretty crazy um david why don't you talk about this one because this is super interesting why did the developers come in here is it like because they're excited why is it well, I think the the line of show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome is really rings true here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When price goes up, when number goes up, it, it tracks everything. Everything always gets attracted to capital and that includes developers. And so when price goes up, developers also goes up. The interesting thing here is that, and this is why we always know in crypto, crypto is a one-way street. People don't come into crypto and then they're like, nah, I'm gonna leave now. When you come into crypto, you tend to stay. Uh, and so when prices go down, developers stay flat. And so like bad prices means that we just don't get any new developers. We don't lose any developers. We just don't get any new ones. And so when price goes up, we get new developers. When price goes down, we don't lose any developers. Uh, and so it's, this is kind of why crypto is always a waiting game. Like you can zoom in on the markets and be like, oh, it's up 5%. Oh, it's up down percent, down, down 5%. But like, it's just a waiting game. You can just wait out the markets until the developers build out crypto into the vision of the future that we have for it. And then prices will be up. Like, it's just how it works. You can just wait it out. The developers aren't going anywhere. Yeah, totally agree. And it's really interesting how that that floor gets painted at Mm -hmm. like the the peak of the last cycle becomes kind of the floor for for the next cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, You Chris Dixon in our podcast with him, he's like, ah, I don't pay attention to prices so much. I'm sure he does a little bit, but he's like, I pay attention to the talent inflows in Mm -hmm. the space. And that's what I track. And this is an interesting way to track that. It's interesting, uh, too, if you chart it by ecosystem as well. So you can compare some of the layer one ecosystems, uh, Ethereum, Polkadot, Cosmos, Solana, Bitcoin. Those are the five largest. Um, Ethereum really far in a way in the lead in terms of its mindshare and developer count. And this is not just protocol development, but this is the entire ecosystem. Now keep in mind- Application layer development. Application layer two. Keep in mind, these metrics aren't like foolproof. So they're tracking GitHub, they're tracking open open source projects primarily. 
you know, they're, they're directionally correct, but the data doesn't always like reflect the, the entire truth here. But mm-hmm. Ethereum definitely cemented in the number one slot. Number two is actually Polkadot, according to this, which I found surprising. Mm-hmm. Then you've got um, Bitcoin, Cosmos, and, and Solana right behind it. Here's another graph of the, of the same thing. This is if you compare the developer ecosystems from day zero. And you do sort of a, an apples to apples comparison of, of where they are and you kind of track the numbers here. Um, what are some of your takeaways from this? Yeah, I, I, actually, if you go up to the very first graph, I really want to pay attention to, um, especially on graphs like this, uh, the very first graph, uh, the area under the curve is really, really important. Uh, and so like we, we have this blue line here of all of the developers and it just now, just recently hit new highs, right? But it's so recent. It's, it's, it's the area under the curve. This is extremely rough science. It's the area under the curve that is the rate of a uh, rate of development because these so many new Web3 developers just came in. They haven't built anything yet. But now that this area under the curve is so large that every single day means so much more in terms of development than it did in July of 2017, for example. I mean, look at look at how much area under the curve there is in July of 2017 versus how much area there is uh, under the curve in July of 2021. We are making like, as an industry, we are developing like three to four times faster than we were in July of 2017. And that's just what happens when developers come into the ecosystem. Uh, and so while there's a lot of developers here right now, we, they just onboarded them. A lot of them are just, you know, experiencing their first apps, like building their first stuff. Uh, and so it's gonna take six months for that the area under the curve here to actually build out in order to, into the thing where we actually get a bunch of new cool new stuff. But the point is we are accelerating uh, development here, uh, which is just super bullish. Totally, it's all happening faster. It's interesting here again. This is a this is a chart. Ethereum, of course, uh, far in the lead with um, four thousand monthly active developers. Um, you see, kind of Bitcoin mm-hmm. down at the bottom, and Bitcoin just hasn't really grown that much. In and that sort of makes count, sense yeah. for the type of, in developer count. That sort of makes sense for the type of network that that Bitcoin is. Um, but some of these other networks are like growing just as fast, if not faster, mm-hmm. than Ethereum in its early days. And I think some of them benefit from the infrastructure that Ethereum has really built out already. So that's interesting to see as well. Um, Yeah, let's talk about this too, David. So uh, NFT market, it feels like NFTs are back. Mm -hmm. All right, so after a a lull, maybe for the last couple of months, kind of a minor bear market-ish, uh, a correction, showing a some signs of life. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. they're showing some signs of life, and this doesn't necessarily mean they'll they'll return to all time highs or not. But what do you think this means? Yeah, well, we had OpenSea just you know, an NFT volume at large just grew so fast, so quickly. We would it's totally expected to see a retracement, and that's what we saw. We saw about four months of decreasing volumes, uh, but December and also the first week of 2022 saw a resurgence in volume away from the decreasing downtrend that we saw in the last four or five months. Uh, so board of ape yacht clubs have really performed well both in terms of uh, uh, floor price and also volume and also just like celebrity d- adoption so many celebrities have board apes now uh, and then there were some other uh, winners as well doodles are on the mind uh, uh, x copies have gotten a ton of volume uh, so yeah there, there's always a bull market somewhere uh, it's just a matter of finding out where it is this is uh, some NFT stats for 2021, just a year in review. This was put out by um, Andrew Chang, I believe, and uh, the One Confirmation team, uh, Andrew Chen, that is. Um, some interesting stats of note. This is from Metaversal newsletter. Ethereum is still king. 
So 90% plus of all NFT volume was on Ethereum this year. Um, I, and that includes also kind of Axie Infinity, its ecosystem, that as a side chain. There were total market cap of NFTs past 31 billion in 2021. 31 billion, uh, which is crazy. But it's still only 1%. That. Uh, just adding up all the NFTs, I guess. Um, I yeah, so some of them, you know, maybe on OpenSea. I'm not sure. You could dig into the data here. But it's interesting. This is only 1.3 percent of crypto's total market cap, right? So mm-hmm. remember all of the predictions that NFTs were eventually going to be larger than crypto. If that's the case, got a long way to go. go. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of upside here. If that's the case. Um, Active NFT users on Ethereum hit 2 million. Pretty crazy. Uh, trading volume on NFTs passed 20 billion in 2021. Some pretty big stats here. And then it goes through different um, segments of the NFT market, like you know, crypto art, gaming, marketplaces, collectibles, uh, and then some highlights and other things. Uh, yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the year that of 2021 that NFTs had? Do you think we're going to repeat something like that this year? Yeah, I'm reminded of a, a tweet thread that Kane Warwick put out forever ago about the difference between uh, technologies that fundamentally change the world, but then are just not very loud technologies. And I think that's DeFi. Uh, very, very just paradigm shift in what it means to do finance. Uh, NFT is also a paradigm shift, but when it's only a $32 billion market cap versus how <laughs> much exposure and like social and cultural uh, acknowledgement there are around it's NFTs. It's punching above its weight class, it's, it's it? It's, it's, it's making bigger cultural impact than DeFi is at like yeah. one one thousandth one one thousandth of the market cap. Like absolutely yeah. insane. Uh, and yeah. it, it kind of just shows like how small the NFT industry actually is. Thirty-one two billion dollars is is. I mean, it's a lot of it's, a, it's more money than I have certainly, but like it's, <laughs> it's just not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's it's still small. So I I guess one takeaway is NFTs are early. But mm-hmm. what do you think though? Do you think they're gonna have a crazy year in twenty twenty two? Oh, I think they have to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, cra- crazy such an open word. Uh, do, you, do I think prices are going to go up in 2022? Uh, for some. Uh, and I, I, th- I think 2022 will be another crazy year in the world of NFTs. And it's going to be crazy in a way that we can't expect right now. That's it. That's the key. It's, it was crazy in 2021 in a way we couldn't expect. And it's going to be crazy in 2022 in a way we can't expect either. So I expect to be surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is crypto for you. There's also another almost companion report. It's a separate report, but I call it companion report. Chain analysis put this NFT report together and it took a different lens on things. It was basically like, um, who's winning? Who won in 2021? So of that 30 billion or so in value, who made the money? A few takeaways, at least uh, from from my mind, were um, OpenSea data actually suggests it's really difficult to achieve outsized returns without being whitelisted on OpenSea. So you kind of had to be on OpenSea in order to get these returns. Uh, Another takeaway was if you want to flip NFTs, don't buy the cheap stuff, buy the blue chips. This is interesting. The top 500 NFT collections account for 94% of all the flips. The top 100 accounts 
for 50% of the flips on OpenSea. So if you're kind of scouring the, the bottom tier of the market, just buying the cheap stuff, that's actually not the way, according to this report, mm -hmm. that you're making real money on NFTs. And this, most people this next chart, actually lose. This yeah, next chart, this. I think, is, is really, really insightful. And this is everything, everyone should listen up about this. Uh, this tweet says, you're probably not making money flipping NFTs. 20% of user addresses on OpenSea account for 80% of secondary NFT sales, while just 5% of all addresses account for 80% of profits <laughs> made on secondary sales. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, like this is this reminds me of uh, Hazu made this comment, I think, in a podcast a while ago, where uh, there was this uh, big, big boom in online poker for a while, yeah. and everyone, everyone and their mother started playing online poker, and then the really, really good poker players just milked all of the noobs for all of their money and then the and they then made a living on it they made a living on it they got extremely wealthy and then all of the you know the retail poker players put their tail between their legs and went elsewhere and did something else with their lives because they got worked and then the world of online poker just hit like a quote-unquote bear market because there weren't any players left because all the good ones took all the money from the bad ones uh, I, I definitely kind of think that's what's going on with NFT flipping. And that's definitely why the best advice you can ever get about NFTs is you only buy something that you like rather than trying to get rich on it. Uh, because like if you're trying to flip NFTs, that's a, like you got to know what you're doing. Uh, and one of these uh, one of these charts illustrates that uh, in order to uh, optimize for the best flipping uh, potential, it says uh, the tweet uh, a couple tweets down says, uh, arguably the most important st uh, stat in the entire report for NFT flippers is that the top 5% of NFT flippers on average is paying 2.2 ETH more for their NFT. So they're not buying four floor NFTs. They are sifting through, trying to find the rare ones, doing their homework, doing their due diligence, uh, and then flipping that. And so they're paying premium. They're paying the premium. They're targeting their, their selections. They're, they're doing their homework. Uh, and if you're just buying a floor, hoping to flip it, like you might get, you might get worked. You might get worked. You might get worked. I mean, I think the takeaway here, and by the way, this, in my opinion, this goes for all trading, not just NFT trading is 95% of you listening to this should not be trading. Yes. You're, you're trading and flipping are the same things. Money. <laughs> exactly. 95% of you probably shouldn't be doing that. that. And that goes for NFTs too, according to the stats. Um, guys, we will be right back with some of the releases and raises and the rest of the roll-ups. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? 
When you make your trades, you wanna make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum and is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a unique grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. The first is this. Maybe some alpha here from Zapper. What are we looking at? Yeah, Zapper is uh, introducing what looks like notifications for NFTs. Uh, so if wow. you do decide to flip NFTs, <laughs> you might want to use Zapper because you can get notified about when your friends buy NFT stuff. Uh, you can actually see my profile picture will come up there. There I am. Uh, my notification is that I bought a PUBG penguin. Uh, there's a bunch of drama with the penguins right Wait. now. And I see I, me in this. What did I do? Yeah, what did real? you do? Uh, no, it's not real. It's just it's just all, all okay. the, the crypto Twitter. What are they saying I did? Yeah, what, what NFT did you buy? Oh, I received a PO app. Oh, you received <laughs> yes, a Bankless DAO PO app. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, so you can just uh, follow, get push notifications for what you and your friends are up to with regards to NFTs through Zapper. Uh, kind of cool. What did you do? Kind of cool. I bought, I bought a Pudgy Penguin, allegedly. Oh, you bought a Pudgy Penguin. That's your Pudgy Penguin. All right, cool. Yeah, th that's great. I love that functionality. Um, some more functionality from Aave, too. Looks like they're building a mobile wallet. That coming from Stani is mm. the tweet. What do you think their mobile wallet might contain, David? Well, got to contain borrowing and lending. It's also got to be on layer two. Uh, so hint more on this later in the show, uh, because there's no way that people are going to be like, the only people that are willing to pay uh, L1 gas uh, prices are also going to be the desktop power users. So totally. any mobile wallet, I think has got to be a L2 wallet. Uh, well, so, so Argent just deployed on ZK Sync, right? Uh -huh. um, Ave, do you think they'll do ZK Sync? Do you think they'll do an optimistic rollup? Do you think they'll do Starkware or something like this? Well, I think we have an announcement later in the show, Ryan, to talk about. So we'll, we'll oh, talk really? about then. Yeah, I don't uh -huh. even remember. Okay, we'll get to that soon <laughs> then, guys. <laughs> to be continued in the back half of the show. Uh, let's talk about this too. This is big release. Bitco, they're now supporting Index Co-op. Cool. Assets. Very cool. So this is the MVI data, the bed index as well in BitGo. BitGo, of course, is a qualified custodian. So it's kind of like Fireblocks. This is where the institutions store their money. So this is a gateway for institutions to buy index co-op products. And of course, these are all indices of other assets. Kind of think of them as uh, DeFi's answer to ETFs. Really cool that BitGo is doing this now, and that was just announced. You can learn more with the link in the show notes. Any thoughts on that? Big DeFi mullet. Yeah, centralized custody <laughs> provider in the front, a bunch of DeFi tokens from a DeFi uh, DAO in the back. Pretty cool. Big, greasy DeFi mullet. That's what we got going on. 
<laughs> Multi-dimensional EIP-1559. That's the title of this ETH research post. David, I haven't gone through this yet, but you have. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, this is a research post out of Vitalik Buterin himself talking about how we can use an EIP-1559 type mechanism to control for other network resources, mainly how we compute gas. Uh, so right now there are hard-coded values for all the different types of functions that go into gas computation. Uh, so like, is, are you multiplying a number? Are you dividing a number? Like, what are you doing to a number? Uh, and the, all these have arbitrary values to, and that's how we manage the resources of the, the ecosystem. This is when we were talking about like increasing the gas costs of call data that we're talking about this number. Um, but, and they but, change in hard forks, right? Like yeah. basically manually, rough consensus, we should change this thing, yeah. and then they get updated and changed. Developers are like, hey, this resource needs to get up-regulated or down-regulated, so let's increase or decrease the price because we think that some resource is, this is a risk, or this resource is underpriced, etc. So it's manual changes. Vitalik Buterin is talking about taking every single thing that goes into the calculation for how gas is calculated and making uh, giving a, like a control theory type mechanism to manage it right no so way yeah that is awesome right so i'll yeah. go manage rather than people manage yeah exactly so if resources are underutilized they will become cheaper if resources are overutilized they will become more expensive uh, and this wow. goes back to one of uh the first big statements that i heard out of any developer in ethereum came out of mean Soleimani's mouth when he talks about no magic numbers belong in blockchain design and what, what's a magic right. number a magic number is a number that's just arbitrarily determined by humans uh, because human, we're trying to get away from human-controlled governance, uh, and so we need to have these uh, uh, control theory, these equilibrium, uh, these numbers that that uh, converge on an equilibrium organically, naturally, in order to have a sustainable long-term uh, equilibrium. Uh, so, well, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to remove the dials from yes. human intervention. You're trying to right. like so the whole the start of this podcast, maybe the start of the year, was a magic number that. Jerome Powell is talking about. He's got mm -hmm. maybe two magic numbers. One is the interest rate, yep. and the other is how much is on the Fed balance sheet. How much are they? And they dial those up manually. There's like yep. 12 people in a room who make these big decisions. Right, totally. And so this, this is exactly in the crypto economic ethos, uh, where we are trying to use crypto economic e economics to manage our public goods resources. Uh, and so uh, pretty interesting in-depth blog post. There's a lot of, uh, you know, Vitalik language in here. Uh, but overall, the comments from the other developers are like, hey, this is really, really cool. Big, big engineering lift, kind of scary, <laughs> kind of scary engineering lift. Yeah. Uh, and so we will see if how well this gets received by um, the, the rest of the Ethereum researchers over time. It could be a long-term goal. It's really cool that uh, that's being thought of right now. Um, let's talk about this from a raises perspective. Moving on to raises, OpenSea is raising $300 million. They just announced that. And that's an evaluation of $13.3 billion. Wow. Okay? 13x wow. unicorn now. They just became a unicorn last year. And now mm -hmm. they're like a unicorn with 13 horns. It's crazy, man. I guess mm -hmm. it's not a unicorn then. It has 13 horns. <laughs> that's something that. else. That's a, that's a mutant. <laughs> okay, but so what's going on with OpenSea? Is this just the valuation? How's like what? What do you think here, dude? You might as well just call uh, right now. You might as well just call OpenSea like the NFT store. Like it's the NFT yeah. store of crypto. Uh, okay, and, it's and... it's the Apple you know store of crypto. Mm -hmm. I guess. Right. It's it's managed to strike a very interesting balance between a centralized web two company and a decentralized web three protocol. 
that I think positions it pretty well. Uh, and it's they've captured basically all the volume in 2021. Is it is it like an NFT bank? Is that what you'd say? No, it's I like would consider like they don't. I would say consider Coinbase's future NFT platform to be an NFT bank because this is still self custody. Um, right. OpenSea totally. still self custody, but you still need to ask permission to sell stuff on OpenSea. So it's definitely we're we're gonna get more into this in the show. But uh, Do you know what this valuation is based on though is like OpenSea is literally printing money right now. Yes. Yeah. There's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for they a ninety a- person team, the amount of revenue that they have, like they are so incredibly lightweight for just the amount of ether just flowing into their coffers. Totally. There's some rumors floating around too. I don't know how substantiated this is. Neither David nor myself have any insider knowledge about this, but there's some talk that OpenSea maybe plans to buy a wallet, mm-hmm. like a Dharma Labs wallet. Uh, that could be in the works. I'm not sure. We'll have to see how that develops. But like, what do you do with $300 million? You're not going to hire that many people, are you? Yeah. You have to make some mer- like acquisitions at least and execute on a growth strategy, I would think. Uh, you think we're going to see Super Bowl ads for NFTs, David? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, I kind of think all ads are going to start to become crypto ads in the future. Uh, okay, so, so I went and I, I saw um, uh, the new Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. And there was the first crypto ad played as a trailer. Wow. It was nice. a Crypto.com ad. Yes. And Yo, it was like uh, yeah, Matt Damon. Did yeah. you see that? Uh-huh. I, saw, I saw it on when I was watching Dune. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, yeah, first time it's starting to invade. It's starting to feel normal. And I, you know, I think we'll see more of this. I mean, they're going to spend that $300 million on something. Mm-hmm. Open, open be, sea Super Bowl ad would be hot. Super that hot. Would be pretty awesome. Yeah. It's a lot of fodder there for, uh, for uh, graphics and such. Um, but speaking of massive raises, of course, all of that money is going somewhere. It's going to jobs as well. These crypto companies, crypto protocols are looking for talented people you can check out what jobs are available on the bankless job boards in crypto. 2022 could be, should be the year you get a job in crypto. Make, make, the leap, make, make that transition. your New Year's resolution. Resolve to get a <laughs> yes. job in crypto. Yeah, at least by the end of the year. You got 12 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, clock is ticking. Here are some jobs. Senior full stack engineer, Syndica. A senior software engineer from Gilded. A founding full stack engineer from Utopia Labs. Senior iOS engineer, Smart DeFi, community ecosystem lead. DYDX, crypto research analyst, NFT specialist from Bitwise. Uh, smart contracts, research analyst, Bitwise again. And a governance specialized uh, specialist from Bitwise. A blockchain developer, you got to be specialized in Rust at Solidix, a senior blockchain engineering manager as well. There's a ton more on the Bankless job boards. Go check that out. Also subscribe so you get these sent directly to your inbox and make 2022 the year you get a job in crypto. Absolutely. It's the best, best industry to get a job in, certainly. Yeah, let's get into news. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's always exciting. News. Uh, let's start here. So the podcast that we did with Vitalik, mm-hmm. And we put that out on Monday. That made some news this week mm-hmm. in crypto cycles, particularly this headline. Here's an a article from Cointelegraph. We are 50% of the way there, says Vitalik on Ethereum development. He said that in a two-hour bankless podcast episode. And that was a fantastic episode, man. This is all about Ethereum's roadmap. 50% of the way there. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, Vitalik Buterin once again reclaiming the number one most download episode in 24 hours. Uh, oh, really? He's had that title before, but he lost it a number of times to others. <laughs> Chris Dixon was the previous that. holder, but now it's Vitalik Buterin once again. Uh, yeah, so Congrats, Vitalik, Vitalik. Uh, it, it really uh, did a great job 
to illustrating the rest of the Ethereum roadmap. Uh, and we talked about this in the debrief, which uh, was one of the few debriefs that we actually gave out for free subscribers. Uh, we, we do a 30 minute debrief for those that don't know. We do a 30 minute debrief on every single podcast. It goes out to the premium subscribers RSS feed. Uh, but because this podcast was so good and I thought the debrief was particularly helpful, we decided to release it for free. Um, uh, and uh, we, we were talking about how the clarity behind the Ethereum roadmap is something that we've never had before that we have now. Um, we can actually clearly see through what we call the crypto fog of war, the, the, the unknown R&Ds of cryptography and consensus and all that stuff. For the first time, we actually have a very distant vision of the future, uh, which we had something we've not had before in Ethereum. So that's what I really enjoyed out of this um, on this podcast. We also talked about the rise of uh, the alternative layer ones and what Vitalik's take is on that, uh, because he thinks that all crypto systems will ultimately converge upon the same future. So regardless of what point on the uh, blockchain scalability trilemma that your blockchain has decided to compromise on, it doesn't matter because we're all headed to the same state anyways. And so we unpack what that means and why that's true. Um, so just a really educational episode. Yeah, I, I listened to it again this morning, actually, David. Well, actually, my first time this morning, and it, it just held up. It, it It's exciting. I want to mm -hmm. bring it back on the podcast. More questions, sir. Uh, let's talk about this too. Uh, Ave, they have just released Ave Arc. We talked about that before. That's kind of their institutional product. Um, they whitelisted it with. It's been whitelisted now with with Fireblocks, which is kind of like a Bitco, a institutional custodian. What's the story be behind this product, David? Yeah, we we just now have a kind of a siloed quarantine version of Ave specifically for KYC institutions. Uh, and so I think a lot of listeners, and Stani actually addresses this here in the article, people ask like, well, is that just antithetical to what DeFi is? Uh, and Stani just goes, well, yeah, it is totally antithetical, uh, but it's what we can do now to, in order to get retail and institutions closer to the same, to the same place. Uh, so it's a necessary evil, but I have a different take, and I, I, I think this is actually the better take. And my, my, my take is that in the current financial world, we have all the retails that are uh, retail individuals, the normal people that just have their banking accounts where they're getting 0.00001% APY. Uh, and those people are quarantined away from actual finance. But in DeFi, it's the inverse. Because DeFi has no limitations on, on the basic Ethereum address, it's the regulations of the nation state that are forcing or uh, compelling people like Aave and Compound to create a siloed version of DeFi. And so where in the traditional finance world, the individual is cut out. In DeFi, it's the institution that's cut out because they have this gated, like neutered, siloed version of DeFi when the rest of us get to go and do anything that we want. Uh, yeah. And so it's actually completely the inverse. And so this is actually retail taking the big W here because Aave and Compound and Fireblocks have to build out all this special stuff in order to allow for uh, big institutions to become compliant. Uh, and so, yeah, like it's the institutions that are taking the L this time. Yeah, I think that's a great take. And I, I do think Istani believes that too, right? So he says at the end, I think DeFi will forever be permissionless and accessible to everyone as long as these networks like Ethereum are decentralized, right? Mm -hmm. And so what what he's basically saying is like the Aave Arc product was built on top of Aave. It doesn't take anything away from the permissionless protocol that exists already with Aave. So DeFi users who aren't institutions continue 
to use Aave the way they always have. But I think you're totally right in that in the traditional finance financial system, it's a two-class economy. There's like first-class citizens and second-class citizens. And retail are definitely second-class citizens. Oh, yeah. Okay, the first-class citizens are the bankers, the institutions, those in power. And you're totally right that DeFi completely inverts that. And institutions become the second-class citizens. We have better, more permissionless access if we're just using Aave with our MetaMask wallet and our Ethereum address than through this permissioned you know, pool via uh, Fireblocks. But all that to say, um, this liquidity is going to be good for the ecosystem. One of my observations coming to this um, 2022, David, is I don't think crypto has yet seen what institutional FOMO actually looks like, okay? The first decade of crypto was, I mean, institutions came toward the end of that, but it was primarily retail driven, right? The institutions were still stuck on, yeah, oh, crypto, that drug dealer money, yeah, like terrorist money, okay, we're not touching that stuff. We haven't yet seen institutions FOMO in to this asset class. And I think over the next decade, we will in all areas. I'm talking like Web2 companies coming to Web3. I'm talking about institutional banks uh, coming to to DeFi. That is totally going to happen. And we're just starting. Like we haven't seen the FOMO yet. And uh, I think it's going to be a big space to watch over the next decade. I'm not sure how much happens this year versus in future years, but it's definitely a massive trend that I see. 100%. 100%. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, oh, okay. Was this what you were referring to earlier? Yeah. What's the uh-huh. headline here? Yeah, so uh, Ave is trying to deploy on Starknet. Uh, and so this is a, sup- a proposal in the Ave governance forums about deploying Ave on Starknet. So a proposal for progressive bootstrapping of the Ave Ar- Ar- ecosystem over Starknet, Starkway's permissionless and decentralized ZK rollup. Uh, and so with this would pair nicely with an Aave mobile app because Starknet, it's, it's even cheaper than an optimistic rollup. It's super, super cheap, like less than a penny. Uh, and so a less than a penny type transactions that are also instantaneous are kind of what it takes to satisfy people that are used to Web2. Uh, and so without, without sacrificing decentralization, it's an important point. Uh, and, and so that's really, that makes sense. I think these things have to come in tandem. If Aave wants a mobile wallet, it's got to be on something like a ZK rollup. So maybe we're putting some pieces together, and uh, and and we're seeing this tape shape uh, take shape an Ave mobile wallet on a Starknet question mark. Maybe that happens. We'll see. Um, what's happening with Polygon though? So some issues, some hiccups along the way with Polygon. There's this game called Sunflower throwing a wrench in Polygon's gears. That is the title here of the article. What's what's happening? I think uh, Polygon is having its CryptoKitties moment, where it had its first big <laughs> uh, successful game. Uh, and because of the just uh, transactional capacity of this game, this game just involves a lot of transactions. Uh, it really just like crippled the uh, Polygon network. Uh, so it, Polygon gas prices spiked to 410 GUE. Uh, that's not that's not GUE in Ether terms. That's GUE in uh, Matic terms. Um, but still pretty high in terms of gas consumption. Uh, and but uh, this is this is what kind of what happens when you allow a network to have really really cheap transactions. People fill them. Uh, and so this has actually already been a problem for Polygon previously. They've already started to tackle some of this stuff. They raised the GUI limit from zero to 30 previously to start to mitigate some of the spam transactions. Um, and so that that, really, that eliminated some of the, the, the transactions that were just trying to get a penny of MEV out. Uh, but now when there's a game, people are just like playing this game, like, oh, they'll, they'll pay like five cents a transaction, 10 cents a transaction. And apparently that was still enough to completely congest the Polygon network. Uh, and so this is kind of what happens when you have 
a chain that has really cheap transactions. If you get, if you an, uh, optimize for cheap transactions, guess what? You get a lot of transactions. <laughs> like that's that's what happens. Um, so this is this is something that not just Polygon, but all tra all chains that have cheap transactions have to deal with. And I am less worried about it at the layer two than I would be at the layer one. And what's interesting here is um, the same sort of thing seems to be playing out and has played out multiple times with Solana. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is just, I, I, I don't know if this is the second time this has happened this week, but um, the Solana network is also experiencing degraded performance due to high uh, transaction throughput. And this is because, as I've understood in the past, there've been a lot of uh, DDoS attacks, right? A lot of spam type transactions that have brought the Solana network to its knees. And even more than that, actually caused it to go offline for periods of time. Mm -hmm. uh, is this, I mean, are these two things related? Is this the, basically the same effect? You got cheap transactions, yep. so you get lots of spam, you get open security vectors for DOS attacts? Yeah, it's it is a pretty like direct relationship. When you have fast chains, you you compromise on stability, uh, and so slow slow chains are stable chains. Fast chains are unstable chains, uh, and so this this is why why you were talking about the difference between an L1 that's fast versus an L2 that's fast. Because if your L2 is unstable, you can go back to the L1. Uh, but if your L1 is unstable, you don't got anywhere to go. It's uh, interesting that uh, Polynaya wrote an article about this um, recently about mm -hmm. um, the transaction quality trilemma. Uh, what is this uh, this trilemma that we're seeing? Because I think we're observing it both in um, Polygon and uh, also Solana and every other network that has very low gas fees. Yeah, so uh, crypto loves its trilemmas. Uh, so Polynaya's <laughs> uh, transaction quality trilemma puts the trilemma between spam, censorship resistance, and low fees. You can only have two. Uh, because if you have low fees, but you don't have censorship resistance, well, then people are just going to spam your network. In order to get rid of spam, you can censor the spam transactions and keep your low fees, but then you then you you know lost censorship resistance. Like now now you're a censored chain, etc. Uh, and so Paul and I unpack some of the trade-offs here, uh, and some of the trade-offs aren't so bad. Uh, they talk about how uh, Immutable X has used uh, censorship to keep spam off of the chain while still keeping low fees. Uh, and so they just, they are, they have a centralized uh, block producer and they just, you know, filter out all the spam transactions in order to keep all of the real transactions good. Uh, and I, I think this is an okay trade-off, right? Like I know we like censorship resistance, but again, it's more, everything about you know, these things are more important on the layer one. And uh, when Immutable correctly censors the bad transactions, however society deems bad to be bad, and enable and continues to allow the good transactions, however society enables considers good to be good, well then that is in my mind a successful L2 because the L2 is serving the desires and the needs of the people while also preserving low fees. And fees on Immutable X are like they're free because they are so incredibly low that the block producers just, they, they just eat the costs. Uh, and, and he also talks about how the ability to exit out of the layer two is also really, really, really important because if you think that Immutable X is doing a bad job of censoring transactions, and perhaps they're censoring your transactions, but letting in other bad transactions, well then you don't like that, so you leave. Uh, and the ability to exit out of an L2, a permissionless exit out of an L2 is a check 
on the centralization that enables the censoring of spam transactions. Really good article, really good education. We won't unpack it too much more here, uh, but there's a link in the show notes if you want to learn more. And you, you know what I think all this means is that um, it's such a false choice to, to, to say that a layer one long term will have cheap transaction fees because it can't. It can't. Not while being a settlement layer, right? And if it does have very cheap transaction you know, fees in the, in the short run, those will just get spammed out of existence. And what's interesting about spam is that spam actually uh, um, accrues a cost to the entire network because people have to, nodes in the network have to maintain that state um, f- you know, forever after basically. So there is this this cost imposed that's distributed over all of the nodes for this spam too. And that, mm-hmm. that's not good. So layer ones long-term, they have to have expensive, relatively expensive block fees, right? It's like layer twos, they can be much much cheaper mm-hmm. when it comes to, to gas fees. But layer ones, I don't see a way out of long-term uh, layer one settlement transaction fees going up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that's a reality that, that too few are like accepting right now in this market. A hundred percent. And also consider this, right? Like say like Solana, Avalanche, Polygon, all of these low transaction fees, high throughput chains. Uh, if they, if they continue to allow for spam, well, the spam just increases the fees to be until they're expensive. Exactly. And so like, exactly. it just raises the watermark because the, because the spam is there. Uh, and so like it's, it ultimately converges upon the same reality at the end of the day. Here you go. Here's the take maybe to finish this off from Dan Elliser. Why don't you read it out? Dan Elliser says, perfect example of why monolithic L1s with low fees are not sustainable long-term. If you make global state and computation free, people will do stupid shit until it breaks or the price increases <laughs> enough to make them stop. There is no TPS high enough for this. Because like, again, if you, only, if you just increase the, the TPS of your chain, then you, you, people are just going to use more of it. Exactly. Well said, Dan. That about sums it up. Uh, let's talk NFT world. So you got a story for us, David. What's the story? This is, again, related to OpenSea. I feel like this is our OpenSea roll-up episode, David. All right. So this is a story of a guy that, unfortunately, bought an NFT that was previously stolen. So an NFT was stolen from some other guy's wallet. Uh, and then that this dealer, the hacker, who managed to exploit, I don't know, with a seed phrase attack, Put the uh, put the NFT up for sale on OpenSea, and then some individual bought that stolen NFT for 1.5 ether, uh, and then it was reported that that NFT was stolen, and then the NFT was frozen by OpenSea inside the new owner's wallet. So the new owner had no idea that it was stolen, just bought an NFT, doing normal NFT buying stuff, uh, buys this new NFT, this illicit, you know, previously stolen NFT, and then OpenSea freezes it because apparently it's OpenSea's policy to freeze all stolen NFTs no matter what. Uh, okay, let, so, me, let me just pause and re- recap here. So a guy buys, okay, so person steals an NFT, mm-hmm. he steals it, yep. then sells it, yep. trying to sell it on OpenSea. Some, some person buys it, right? So this is like the... Um, uh, the dude selling open his trench coat and selling like fake Rolexes, right? Yep. Or, like stolen Rolexes, okay? And sells the NFT to this buyer, and now the buyer has it. And mm-hmm. then what what happens to the buyer? Clarify that for me. So the buyer's got this new NFT, this Rolex, mm-hmm. doesn't know it's like it's hot, it's been stolen. Right. Uh, it gets frozen, did you say? Yeah, so OpenSea froze the NFT because it was stolen. 
and apparently that is their policy that they freeze NFTs that are stolen. I think it's a legal restraint that they have. They have to freeze these things if they are stolen, just to become just to stay squeaky clean on compliance and legal. Uh, and so it's a kind and, of an, and what do you mean frozen? I thought these things were on Ethereum, right? They cannot be frozen, right? If they're it's an ERC seven twenty one, right? They so they are frozen on OpenSea, not ah. on Ethereum, because you can't. You're okay. totally right. Can't freeze anything on Ethereum, uh, but OpenSea can choose to not accept any Ethereum assets through their contracts. Uh, and so uh, and so like yeah, you know you can still take your NFT out and sell it on any other platform. But then the counter argument is like, well, all the liquidity is on OpenSea. So like, if you don't let me sell on OpenSea, well, like I can't access any of the liquidity. Uh, so they basically like blacklist it and they just freeze it like right. on the OpenSea platform. And that's kind of enough to make it worthless or close to worthless yeah, right now because OpenSea is so much volume? at the very least. Kneecapped. Yeah, kneecapped. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and this is even, even though they know that the current owner of the current of the NFT didn't do anything bad, they still have to freeze it because it's stolen. Uh, and so it's kind of just an unfortunate outcome where like the guy who had his NFT stolen takes the L, the guy that bought the NFT takes the L, uh, OpenSea takes the L because they don't want to do this anyways. Um, <laughs> the, like, and, and the, the, the scammer, the victim, the, the, the hacker exploiter takes the W by getting the 1.5 free ether by, you know, selling this, this, uh, stolen this seems NFT. like a bad incentive setup because like rewarding thieves and thieves getting away with it. And, um, you know, basically the, the, the second party, uh, the third party buyers who purchase these things, they're the ones uh, taking mm -hmm. the hit. It seems like a bad precedent to set in general, because what you might do is entice more, more thieves and more stolen NFTs. But like, what are the lessons learned here? What, what are the, the takeaways from your perspective? Because, because people th think like, oh, Web3, Web3 NFTs, I'll go to OpenSea, this Web3 platform and buy my NFTs and then realize that like, oh, NFT, uh, OpenSea is not actually fully Web3. It's also not fully Web2, it's somewhere in the middle, right? Because it's uh, non-custodial, you own your NFTs, you can upload N your NFTs into OpenSea, uh, and, but also in order to sell your NFTs, it's permission. Like they, you have to ask OpenSea for permission. I mean, they give you permission by default, but then they can revoke it because they have that power. So like OpenSea, kind of web 2.5. Uh, so OpenSea is gonna find themselves, I think in an interesting spot in 2022. We definitely need alternatives to OpenSea. There's no reason why we can have to have all of the NFT markets, all the NFT volume consolidated onto just one exchange. Um, and NFTs uh, and OpenSea is gonna face a lot of competition. And I think in 2022, we have, on the more centralized end of the spectrum, a completely custodial NFT, uh, Coinbase NFT marketplace coming online. And then there's just the massive fight for a completely decentralized Web3 uh, DAO-focused uh, NFT platform. Uh, and so I think we're gonna go, like, go the full gamut of you know, the, the full, full, uh, full centralized, full custodial, to the fully decentralized, fully non-custodial, and and then have OpenSea in the middle. But people, I, I think, are just learning the limitations of a semi-centralized system like OpenSea and kind of being bummed about it. Bring it on. Let a thousand flowers bloom, right? We're seeing mm -hmm. some of the cracks in centralization, and I'm sure either OpenSea or some competitor will uh, will try to bridge those cracks. Mm -hmm. um, what's going on with Bored, Bored Apes, though? They just crossed the one billion mark in total sales, totally crushing it, coming to the year pretty strong. Uh, that's one headline here, but there's also been some uh, freezing of board apes as well. 
Uh, again, is this a case of stolen bored apes, similar to the story that you just told? Stolen bored apes. Yeah, so if you've been on, on crypto Twitter, and especially on NFT Twitter, you've definitely have noticed the memes about how bored ape owners tend to get their bored apes stolen from them. Uh, <laughs> how does this happen? Okay, so how does this happen, by the way? This is not like somebody you know, physically meeting someone in person and like, you know, wrench attacking mm -hmm. them and taking their, their NFTs, right? This is all happening in, you know, Discord yep. channels and Twitter all, DMs so, and people social just giving engineering up their private attacks. keys. Yeah, people okay, are like, hey, it. like, oh, are you having trouble with your wallet? Like, give me your, submit your private key here and I can help you with it. And then they do that uh, and then they get their board ape stolen or like they totally. they get to, get they get somebody to like, hey, they're Ryan, just new to crypto. They're they new to crypto. Know. They don't know. Right. I, I like they it. think people are helping it. them and then they, they don't like the, And then they there were the, the, these very ironic kind of unfortunate tweets from very early board ape holders saying like, hey, I just had my board ape removed from my wallet. How do I contact like the Ethereum customer support to get it back? like 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 stuff like that they just don't know they just don't know and so like yeah. it's become a meme that like board ape like uh were, there was a meme that i saw i was like name a better duo board ape yacht club holders and get like giving away their private keys towards oh, scammers. Sad. Yeah. Sad. It's, it's happened like a number of times it's very sad yeah so and what so, happened in this case yeah so 2.2 million dollars worth Jeez. of board apes had to get frozen yeah. by OpenSea. Uh, okay. based off of the same things that we were just talking about like you know scammers managed to get their hands on board apes OpenSea is like okay well we're not going to let you sell your stolen apes on our platforms uh and yeah uh, i mean unfortunately OpenSea doesn't have the power unfortunately and also fortunately depending on how you look at it OpenSea doesn't have the power to give those board apes back um but they can at least just restrict the uh, sellers from selling them on their platform what what's this? This is a uh, maybe not a related headline. Yeah, this I'm is completely unrelated to open. Okay, unrelated, but, but still, uh, still related board to apes. board apes. I think this headline okay. is absolutely hilarious. And I okay, like, let me read it then. Yeah, two NFT copycats are fighting over which one is the real fake board ape yacht club. <laughs> what? The yeah. real fake? Right. Yeah. So so there are these funks out there which are just crypto punks, yes. but mirror images of each other. And now somebody has made like the the board ape yacht club version of those. Uh, so mirror images of board apes, except there's two of them. And so like these these both of them are board ape clones, and they're like, no, we're the real clone. Like we're the real fake board apes, which is just well, don't they hilarious. Have to, okay, but so don't they? Ha when it's talking, I haven't read anything past the headline, of course, right? So, but um, aren't they fighting for this in? the the public square aren't they fighting for social consensus of what the true fake board ape really mm -hmm. is like or is this getting into like legal territory or something like this i think this is What's getting into, into legal territory yeah because what? because I, I think board ace job club has like copyright rights over their board apes and so when someone you know, like yoinks all of their jpegs and does a mirror image of them and then makes a new nft set like that, that is a copyright infringement. And so, and and I don't think that like really the Bored Apes team can really do anything. There's not much power they have, but the NFT marketplaces have to answer to copyright. Uh, and so like they have to tussle with this, which is even more insane. So, okay, what's going on here then? Uh, there's the, a Rarible. Rarible, yeah. So like this is the fake Bored Apes page on Rarible and it's banned it's been it says this user or item has been temporarily blocked from public access this is rarible doing it to you i rarible, guess yeah. rarible is also a hybrid uh web 2.5 type yeah, company in exactly between web 2 and web 3 um 
And uh, so, so what's going on here with this DJ Spartan tweet? Yeah, DJ Spartan. If you guys don't know who DJ Spartan is, he's just a kind of a DJ, a DJ who's also a, a lone ranger kind of Chad type crypto Twitter character. Uh, and he goes, "I minted five fake apes. I sold three, booked back my entire capital plus 100% profit. I kept two because I am my ape, and my ape is me." He's kind of just making <laughs> making fun of board apes, and I give it an 80% chance that Rarible shuts down the. Uh, fake apes yacht club i don't know what p h a y c stands for market by tomorrow 95 percent by the end of the week and yes indeed rarible did indeed shut down the fake uh, fake board apes nft craziness uh eminem sporting a again meanwhile unrelated but related eminem <laughs> marshall mathers has got a pretty sick board board shady ape. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the that's the slim shady cap right there. Yep, that's, that's the, the hat. slim shady cap. Yep. Is that uh-huh. custom or did the ape come with that? Nope, that's um, that's the normal normal ape. Wow, that's cool. That's a mm-hmm. big move. Uh, good for board apes getting the celebrities in there. Mm-hmm. Um, he also on that on that train. Again, we don't know whether it's Eminem or whether it's like one of the Eminem people. You know, the people behind uh, Marshall Mathers. But Eminem.eth was just purchased. Uh, are we assuming by Eminem this was purchased, or do we do we know about this? I don't think we know for sure, but I mean it's at the same time that he got buys his board ape, so it would make 56 sense. Fifty six k, yeah, uh, fifteen ETH mm-hmm. for that for that purchase. Dot yep. um, ETH names, I feel like as the original NFTs or one of the original NFTs, celebrities are starting to sport those more and more, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I think that's um, it's going to be interesting for a lot of the people who've been sitting on nice dot ETH names. Uh, when when that tidal wave hits uh, let's talk about this samsung is introducing an nft platform with its new smart tvs so what is this you get to display nfts on your samsung you know, tv does this only come with some tvs uh what are they doing here yeah so there are certain samsung products that are designed for art i actually have the, there's a samsung frame tv and these are the that's the tv that i got to display my uh, nfts that i got from uh, nate moeller shout out uh, and so, yeah, Samsung's leaning into NFTs. What it actually means to actually have an NFT like platform uh, integrated into a TV, I don't know. Uh, but they... is it kind of like you know how smart TV, like the, Samsung has like smart TV type functionalities. Other TVs have this where they'll embed apps like a right. Netflix or something yep. inside of it. Are they embedding like an OpenSea and NFT marketplace, some sort of TBD. NFT displayer inside TBD. of it? TBD. Yeah, TBD. I don't. I don't okay. think we know, but we do know that Samsung is leaning into NFTs and just crypto at large. So more to more in the future. Related, Samsung is entering the metaverse, entering its uh, flagship store uh 837 store in decentraland so yeah big yeah. consumer electronics companies coming yeah. <laughs> to the metaverse too coming to crypto by way of nfts not right. DeFi. yeah the, the, it says the virtual samsung 837 store will be open and decentralized in the decentraland for a limited time what do you think you can do there like do you go there to buy a tv know. because like <laughs> what how does that work i don't know i don't know it feels like they're just experimenting with it but What's interesting to hear is you remember there was a lot of talk about uh, Samsung back a couple of years ago, maybe creating a crypto wallet to roll out on all of the Samsung phones. Right. Oh, I do remember. Not that. much really happened yeah. with that, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. do you, like I didn't hear much about that, but yeah, now they're coming back wow. with NFTs, right? So it's it's, it's kind of again the. Um, the conversation we've been having so much recently about NFTs creating additional surface area to onboard people into crypto and that mm-hmm. includes companies into crypto yep. as well it's kind of a uh, you know doing what DeFi could not 
let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin, though, David. Mm -hmm. Some news from Congress that they are preparing an oversight hearing committee on Bitcoin mining's environmental impact. I feel like, David, uh, Bitcoin is taking a full frontal assault from a proof of work perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, every other layer one crypto network is migrating or has started with, with proof of stake. And it's going to be basically Bitcoin versus the world in terms of justifying why uh, proof of work mining is actually worth it. And I mean, you and I might agree and might say, yes, it's worth it, right? Um, but like, Bitcoiners don't have to convince us. They have to convince Congress and the rest of society that the money spent on what society sees as environmental waste is, is well spent funds. And this looks like it's, it's kind of a committee in Congress that will shed some more light on this and probably amplify the topic. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, this is going to be a big litmus test for so many different things. Uh, first off, the big the Bitcoiner narrative is that Bitcoin is good for the environment because it creates more energy and specifically leans in towards green energy. So the more energy that big, that proof of work consumes for Bitcoin, the faster we can have a green society. A lot of people do not buy that argument. I kind of am compelled by it, but also at the same time, I think there's a very strong counter argument to say that like, well, it's even more green just to consume less energy than to consume more of it. Uh, but that's that's a different story. This the what I'm interested in hearing about the fallout of this is does so Congress is you know supposed to do their research. So when they do do their research and they sift through the FUD of just you know sometimes just blatantly in misinformation about the negative externalities of Bitcoin mining, they do they do exist, but sometimes they're just way overblown. What is Congress's opinion about Bitcoin mining after they actually do homework? Like what is on the other side of that? Do they actually find that Bitcoin does incentivize green energy production? Uh, to, to what degree do they find that that's true? Um, do you so, think they're actually going to do their homework, though, David? Or do you think they're that's just what using I was this get as to. another committee for like right. to score some political points, which totally. is the entire purpose of this committee is, right? It's yeah, just, it's, uh, it's popular to hate on Bitcoin. And so I could totally <laughs> yes. see an outcome as like, oh, we did our homework. Bitcoin, energy mining, bad. It's bad. Uh, that's, yes. our, that's our report. It's bad. Uh, and yes. then, and then and we, we should do something nowhere. about it and we should do something about it. Yeah. And then Congress, everyone in Congress like, oh yeah, totally. It's bad. We should do something about it. I can totally see that happening. <laughs> well, one thing I'm, I'm glad about right now is, and this wasn't the case going into 2021, but it is the case going into 2022, which is, um, I think mainstream and even in Congress, the world of crypto is now larger than Bitcoin. There was a time where crypto mm -hmm. and Bitcoin was kind of synonymous for a lot of people. Like Bitcoin kind of eclipsed the rest of crypto. That's no longer the case. Like I think even going into 2022, so we used to say Bitcoin is the gateway drug. Teaching people digital scarcity is the gateway mm -hmm. drug to crypto. I don't know if that's true anymore. Yeah. I think like things NFTs like are. NFTs yeah. are becoming the gateway drug, right? So, and again, that's just teaching people digital scarcity as well. Digi digital scarcity of a JPEG, which is interesting. And that leads them down possibly a path to start to understand some of the other crypto money type topics. But that is a sea change. And I'm glad that's the case or else the rest of crypto would also be lumped into this argument. Not that I'm not sympathetic about, um, you know, the counter arguments that the, the crypto and the Bitcoin community would have to support proof of work. I am. I just am glad that's a, a fight that not all of crypto has to fight. Yep. Yep. Having options is important. Let's talk about this. You uh, alluded to it earlier in the in the show. Uh, Kazakhstan 
internet shutdown. Okay, so there was like a, I, I believe the, I haven't followed this very closely, but the government in Kazakhstan has um, just walked, basically walked away. There's lots of protests, um, you know, concern about the prices, gas prices, the prices of everything. It's kind of a, a, a you know, a revolt, a, a minor revolution, I guess I would say, the protests in the street and the government completely walked away. And this has caused downstream effects with, there's apparently a, a bunch of Bitcoin mining in Kazakhstan right now. Uh, they shut down the internet. So the internet's been shut down. And now hash rate, Bitcoin hash rate has fallen. What's, uh, what's the story here? 18%. Bitcoin hash rate fallen. So that's like that's a lot. That's a lot. I didn't wow. know. I didn't know Kazakhstan had so much Bitcoin um, mining capacity inside of it. And you know, it kind of just makes sense. Kazakhstan is like right next to China, uh, and so when a lot of uh, when China pushed out its Bitcoin miners, it went all over the world. But like a lot of them just went to Kazakhstan. Just went right next door. Uh, and mm. so they, they, this is well now. Now they're probably going to be moving out of Kazakhstan if this continues. Um, and this actually just might be kind of like a, another microcosm of China. It's just like, well, we're just pushing out uh, Bitcoin mining hash power further and further, probably west, probably into Europe, probably into America, where Bitcoin mining is just more dependable, more stable uh, and inside of less volatile foundations. Uh, and so it might be a long term good just for the narrative of getting more and more hash, po hash power domiciled in countries that regulators with power like uh and yeah and and this is also kind of some sort of speculation going on with this uh decreasing bitcoin price because you know mm. guess who has a lot of uh bitcoins miners do they they are the kind of the source of bitcoins uh and so if, if they have elected the lot the big big drop in may when ether went from 4300 down to 1800 and i don't know what the bitcoin price does because i didn't because i didn't pay attention to it as much that was on the heels of China pushing out Bitcoin miners. Uh, right. And so we just saw another big uh, oof candle, big oof candle. I'm going to just keep on saying that until it becomes in the dictionary or something. Um, <laughs> big oof candle followed by the news of a bunch of hashing power that got got um, axed. Uh, and so uh, miners, they are very uh, conservative with their risks. Miners are generally pretty risk averse. And so maybe they sold a bunch of Bitcoin to fund an actual migration of, of hash power or just cover their costs or whatever. Uh, I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to speculate on. It could be. Uh, that could be what's going on for sure. It's definitely interesting news. Also, as we look west, let's talk about some of the the regulation coming in uh, the U.S. market. So the CFTC just fined Polymarket uh, $1.4 million and asked it to wind down some of its prediction markets. Um, the story is after a CFTC investigation found that Polymarket was offering illicit option contracts in the U.S., it's a very interesting story here because the question is, is this the beginning of other CFTC types of enforcement actions in U.S. markets? Um, what happened here and what's what's kind of your takeaway? Yeah, my, my big takeaway is that this is the perils of a Web 2.5 company, a company that didn't make it all the way towards fully decentralized. This is what they have to deal with. Um, I, I think Polymarket has definitely been able to have a ton of success based off the, of the trade-offs that they've made on the centralization to decentralization spectrum. But like when you have any amount of, of centralization, like you get the ire of nation state regulators. This $1.4 million fine, extremely reasonable. This this whole thing is, in my mind is, is reasonable. This is the CFTC doing normal CFTC stuff. This isn't the SEC being just hard-handed and kind of just overall a dick. Uh, to our industry, uh, and I, I but and, and I think polymarket more or less 
perhaps saw this coming. They already had um, you know, pretty decent limitations on their markets. Um, and now I think what's as a result of this is that they are just going to um, uh, probably do something like DYDX, which is uh, not allow US IP addresses, um, not allow US people to participate in Polymarket, and just kind of move offshore and uh, be serving customers that aren't inside the United States. So you know who loses? Us, people in the US people. U.S. users, we don't get to use Polymarket because of the CFTC, because of nation-state regulators. So, is what it is. Yeah, it's it's kind of painful. I I think it also so like I I do agree with you. This is not necessarily the CFTC being heavy-handed in mm-hmm. terms of their their touch. Uh, it doesn't appear like that is the case to me, as the SEC has been in the past. But it's also like. There's a problem with our regulations in the U.S. from a commodities perspective. And Brian Quintens, who is a former CFTC uh, commissioner, actually came in the podcast and said this, like, if you ultimately want change, that has to happen in Congress. Like, the legislative body has to change some of the rules about what consumers, retail consumers, can have access to in the U.S. I mean, at some level, the CFTC is, unfortunately kind of trying to enforce the rules on the books. But the question is, what happens if the rules on the books don't make sense anymore? Right. What if they're wrong? What if they're old? What if they no longer apply? And I think that's definitely the case uh, for, for polymarket. Um, these are like prediction markets, right? So w- what are the chances that, that um, it, you know, Democrats lose the next election cycle, that Bi- Biden gets right. reelected, all of these sorts of things, things that like consumers should have access to. Uh, and right. uh, it's a shame com- that we can't do this What harm can that thing. really do? I mean, like, we're trading NFTs in the right. same way. Like, right. I mean, we're trading all of these different things. Uh, it's just that the letter of the law says a certain thing, and this causes a stifling of the market in the U.S. And what's going to happen for polymarket is going to be just fine. I think they'll, they'll continue operating. They might have to geofence, as you said. They'll probably move some of their operations outside of the U.S., and move it internationally, and who loses? To your point, David, the U.S. loses, right? Uh, so it's a shame that this is happening. But if we want change, that's why in the U.S. we have to be involved in our political system as well, or we'll see more of this in the future. Uh, David, speaking of things that we've we're seeing more of, Tether just froze one million dollars worth of USDT. I think that's just a PSA, like a reminder that. Yeah, Tether that's, can freeze USDT. That's the full story. We don't know why or who it is, but there's a million dollars in an Ethereum address. I think it's on Ethereum uh, that got frozen, uh, and so that's what happens. Don't do illegal things with Tether. Don't do illegal things. <laughs> don't do illegal things. Uh, but yeah, if you want to get away with first. illegal things, don't use Tether. <laughs> well, but like, yeah, and then and then like Tether is not a censorship resistant stablecoin, right? right? Uh, that that's also the takeaway. Some people treat it as if it is. Uh, neither is China China's digital one, uh, and that wallet goes live on the App Store. It's going live in in App Stores in China in pilot mode now. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is like all of this development has gone on with the the digital one, and the U.S. has like basically done nothing. They have this no entire clue. time. They have no. Yeah, clue. we we've watched it from the last like you know three or four years, being like, oh, China's doing this. It's coming. They're investing in blockchain. They're like. And the Fed's like, yeah, we'll believe it when I when we mm-hmm. see it. We don't have to do anything. And like, we'll have a meeting to discuss. <laughs> we'll have a meeting to discuss the implications. We'll create a you know a paper, and we'll have mm-hmm. a congressional hearing maybe in the future, right? And then China is just like building it, right? And they, now they're now they're in pilot mode. It's like the like difference just between been... peer review and actually doing it on in live production. <laughs> 
totally. Yeah. Like, or like the difference between a startup and a large corporation who just talks about doing yeah. things, right? Mm-hmm. And the startup's just hustling and building it out, right? And um, I, I do think that the U.S. is going to get caught very flat-footed on this China digital wallet thing and, and digital blockchain thing. And um, it, another thing that's going to cost the U.S., uh anyway that's that's the take here we've done a lot on china by the way we did that episode on um with richard turin mm-hmm. called cashless if you want to hear about the china digital currency story go tune into that episode as well guys we will be back with the takes of the week but before we do we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible the gemini exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since i got into crypto i use gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset on gemini you'll find over 50 different cryptos including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like yfi and axie infinity using gemini earn you can earn yield on your various cryptos including eight percent on the gusd stablecoin gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide so if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange sign up at gemini with gemini.com slash go bankless and get 15 dollars of bitcoin after you trade 100 dollars or more within the first 30 days that's gemini.com slash go bankless slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets every token on slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time slingshot is available on polygon arbitrum and optimism saving you from the high gas feeds and low transaction speeds of the ethereum l1 there are no fees to trade on slingshot and any positive slippage is given to the users trading on slingshot Slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with built-in privacy and ad blocking to keep you in charge of your digital footprint. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. All right, guys, we're back with the takes of the week. Here's uh, Jay with a really interesting take on protocol mafias. What's the uh, prediction here, David? Yeah, Jay of uh, Jay of Rari Capital, which uh, we just did a show on State of the Nation with Rari Capital and Tribe, Fay slash Tribe, Joey and, and Jay, uh, about the merger between Fay and Rari Capital. There's a lot of synergies. These teams have been working together. And so they have decided to merge. Uh, so the two tokens, the the uh, RGT token for Rari and the Tribe token for Fay are merging into the same token, which is going to be Tribe. Uh, and so Jay continues this thought and extrapolates it to the rest of DeFi and talks about one of his predictions for 2022 is that protocol mafias are coming to life. And he thinks that there are already some like different DeFi apps that kind of have banded together. So you have the uh, magic internet money, Spell, Ice is one mafia, one group of people. Uh, we also have the FX, FX, oh, 
the Frax stablecoin, uh, Olympus and Sushi Tribe, uh, excuse me, Mafia. And then now we have the Tribe, which is also uh, already a part of uh, Rari. Uh, so three tribes, uh, three Mafias, if you will. And I think there's just, there's a lot of like redundant overlapping apps in DeFi. And so Jay's just predicting that these are going to consolidate and merge into the same organization. You know, we can be more powerful together. There's a bunch of competition out there. DeFi is kind of ruthless these days. Uh, and so Jay's just basically just predicting that this ruthlessness naturally collapses into mergers. And we have seen this before. This is what happens in normal businesses. Businesses merge when it makes sense. Uh, and DAOs should be considered the same. Uh, and so this is a big uh, prediction that I'm kind of on board with. If you want to hear more about this, we talked about this concept in our State of the Nation. That show came out on Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on uh, YouTube or the podcast. So you can check that out as well. That's a really good prediction. I, you know, I, I think he's right on with that. We'll have to see what happens in 2022. It might be the year of mergers, DeFi mergers. Mm -hmm. All right, here's a take from Balaji. Uh, lawyer fees are the equivalent of gas costs for traditional finance. Every contract update requires transaction fees from JDs. Lawyer fees being like gas costs. What do you think of this? Yeah, uh, and there was another tweet as well that talked about layer twos, where layer twos are like the paralegals. Where, so like, you know, layer twos prep everything and then they bundle it all up and they settle that transactions down to the L1, which are the actual lawyers that actually execute the transactions. Uh, and, I, and this has always been, in my mind, the correct framing for what a blockchain is. A blockchain is just a system of courts, a courts and appeals, but instead of, uh, subjective judges, we have the EVM. Uh, and so the if you have a contract that your lawyer drafted up and you want to change it, you got to pay the gas cost to make the, the, the <laughs> transaction, the, the contract update. Uh, and so uh, and this is this is why, like, I know I know fees on Ethereum are high, but in stark contrast, the $500 like transaction fee on Ethereum is orders it's of magnitude than the 50 hundred yeah. bajillion dollars that you would have totally. paid a lawyer to do the same. And and then if that ends up going to court, you're paying 10 times even more than that, right? Uh, and so yes, gas costs on Ethereum are high. Um, gas costs on other chains are low. Uh, but the, the point is that we are disintermediating an entire industry of extremely expensive lawyers and litigation and court. We have to remember what we are actually improving upon. And it's not, it's not, it's about the court system, the court of appeals, which is extremely yeah. slow, extremely laborious and way slower than Ethereum, by the way. <laughs> I, I, so I, I, I totally vibe with this take. I, I have maybe like um, a, a subtle change. I feel like um, coders are the actual lawyers yes. in this case, yeah. right? So like you still have to pay coders mm -hmm. to create the contracts, the smart contracts. Uh, and the, the transaction fees are actually like taxes, right? So mm -hmm. like that whole uh, court apparatus that you're talking about, I mean, that is maintained by federal and state taxes. For example, in the U.S., right, and like that is the court system. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I and I totally agree with the takes of like um, we're automating a ton of that away, and it's becoming much more efficient. In fact, what are the costs to maintain the U.S. legal system from like circuit courts all the way to like the Supreme Courts on up, right? Well, it's like military budget, right? It's, it's, it's the entire uh, government infrastructure bureaucracy is required to maintain that system and we're not only automating the lawyers out of the mix we're also automating the entire like government system out of the mix and how much more efficient is that so i'd even take it a step further than blaji's tweet but yeah he's he's right on that's essentially what we're doing smart contracts 
are um, the new the new legal system. It's mm-hmm. you know code is law mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the next take here, David. So this is um, a take from Suzu. Maybe I'll read this originally, and then you can read the reply, which is the, which is the meat of it. So Suzu says, "I'm bullish on nearly all quality L1s, but if you think that Saluna X, that's Saluna." Uh, Solana, Luna, and uh, Avalanche together are boomer coins. If you think they're boomer coins, you literally have the memory of the goldfish. Uh, And here's this reply, which is the the real take here we want to get into. That's all the current market is. Goldfish running from one side of the tank to the other as crypto influencers furiously tapping the tank to attract them to the other side with their bags to dump. Well, that's a bleak outlook on the market as it stands today. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I saw this reply get passed around in numerous different circles where everyone's like, oh yeah, this is a really good analogy. So like, all the, like all the influencers are like, hey, pay attention to my bags. Hey, pay attention to my bags. <laughs> tap, 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 pay attention to my bags. And we saw this in, in Kobe's fantastic uh, Substack uh, about how like uh, crypto is a fight for attention. Uh, if you can't get attention on your bags, your bags will not pump. Uh, and so it, like, and I'm, I'm just going to self-shill uh, us here. This is why some influencers that have not changed their tune for forever are perhaps worth listening to when they are only saying the same things year in, year out about the same principles. Maybe those guys are people that, you know, you, they're saying they're not tapping different spots in the tank. They're saying, hey, this is worth listening to. And it was worth listening to last year and it'll still be worth listening to next year. So just going just gonna to throw that out there. I just think, look, man, I think fundamentals um, last, if fundamentals are stronger than the market's short-term attention cycles mm-hmm. as well. Like, that's why we talk about them so much on Bankless is because, like, if you're narrative investing, you care a lot about what Kobe was saying in his Substack about, you know, the tension and whether the, the attention's on this narrative or whether that's narrative. But if you don't care about narratives, if you're not narrative chasing, if you're investing in fundamentals, then all that kind of becomes noise and you right. can make longer term plays. And back to what we said at the very beginning, right? It's like 95% of you shouldn't be trading anyway. Right. 95% of you shouldn't be following the uh-huh. influencers like a goldfish uh, because you're going to get wrecked mm-hmm. on, on the other side of that. Um, the game so that, is, that's the why game we is, emphasize fundamentals. The game is to find the spot on the goldfish tank that you think all the taps will converge to over the very, <laughs> yes. very long term <laughs> yeah, and right. just that's wait there until the, all the taps start to show up. And hopefully you place yeah. your bets accordingly. Exactly, exactly. Uh, all right, let's go on. Uh, this is a related take, actually, from mm-hmm. Anthony Sassano. Either die, you either die a degen or live long enough to see yourself become a crypto boomer. Is the take? I think he wrote a uh, a blog post about this, and I, I the the take in the blog post post is basically like everyone starts as a degen, right? Mm-hmm. When you get into crypto, you're kind of just here to make money, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's that's true for everyone, but like generally, a lot of people get into crypto for number go up, um, and then when the number does go up, you kind of lose touch mm-hmm. with everything else, and you no longer care about the like early you know, degen style games. But in these degen games, that's where a lot of the innovation is actually happening. So you, you kind of grow out of touch and become like a crypto boomer, mm-hmm. according to Anthony. Um, yeah, what's your what's your thought on this take? Yeah, there's just always generations about crypto. Uh, and when people are coming in, they're looking for, they're, they're coming in with their uh, limited amounts of capital wherever they came from. And they are trying to get that 10X. That's what, that's what people know the crypto world to, to offer. 10X is 100X's. 
and like you're not gonna find a 10x, a 100x uh, in in the the high caps. Like you're not gonna get your 100x with Bitcoin or Ethereum anytime soon. It's gonna take a real long time to get a 100x on Ether. It'll happen, but it'll happen over decades. Uh, and so if you want that 100x, you gotta go down the DGen rabbit hole and start doing your doing your investigations, doing a super insane amount of research, like following all the discourse, doing all that stuff. And that that's what like that you are living on the periphery, you are living on the edges. Uh, and once you actually survive that part of your crypto cycle, then you kind of graduate into something a little bit more stable. You kind of have developed what you are familiar with. You've gotten your feet under you. Uh, and, and and then the crypto world moves on and starts to in, innovate in, in different directions than what you're used to. And either you can choose to follow that in, in, innovation, which is what Sazel is saying, you either die a degen, as in you stay a degen forever and you're just following the narrative trades over and over and over again, or you just like kind of call it quits and settle and say, well, you know, I'm actually familiar with this part of crypto and I'm going to stay right here. Uh, and so that's what Anthony's calling a crypto boomer. Uh, and so the, this juxtaposition, I think, is, is pretty compelling. Yeah. I, do, do you think that's totally right, though? Like, do you think you either have to be a degen or you 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 uh, become a crypto boomer and those are the only two choices? Like, I, I feel like there's a there's another choice here, which is like, um, I don't know, it's kind of the like buy what you use sort mm -hmm. of Warren Buffett, like evaluate this based on its fundamentals, wait for narratives to prove themselves with some raw fundamentals and then invest in them. Like, but be open to new narratives. I feel like a, a total crypto boomer would just be like, yep, I bought my thing and like, this is how it is. And I'm never going to change my thesis mm -hmm. or my opinion. It's always this one particular way. But like, I think there's some space in between being a full degen and being a crypto boomer. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's funny that you referenced uh, Warren Buffett in your explanation as what's not a crypto boomer. It's like, oh yeah, Warren Buffett, long-term behavior. No, like it's, it, it's the juxtaposition between the degens and the non-degens. Like if you're not a degen, you're therefore a crypto boomer. Um, although like I do accept your nuance. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think there's some nuance there, but I, I, I totally understand the point he's making. So here's a take out of Reddit, and this take is really just the headline. And this is coming off the heels of all of the gamers rejecting NFTs in their games. And the take here is that NFTs won't ruin computer games. Greedy game companies will ruin computer games using NFTs. And I think that's a really good take. Technology is just neutral. It's really about the incentives of the game developers that can choose to actually have helpful or harmful NFTs in the games. Uh, and so that's kind of what I would ask uh, the gamers that don't like NFTs to consider is that, well, maybe it's actually the studio that you don't like, not NFTs. Yeah, I, I think that's totally the case. NFTs are neutral technology. Uh, why don't you take this take? Yeah, this comes from Altcoin Psycho Twitter account. He says, so many poorly designed unlocks are all happening this year, 2022. A lot of popular alts will likely get hammered. Unlocks is referring to uh, angel investors, seed investors, uh, getting their tokens and then their vesting periods ending so that they can finally sell their tokens. He continues, 2022 will be, will be the year that humbles everyone who said fully diluted value or tokenomics are a meme. TA, technical analysis, won't save you from a shitty emission curve crushing <laughs> your project. So basically he's saying that like, yo, beware of the tokenomics, like, or excuse me, beware of the vesting schedules. Cause when, when VCs have their tokens unlocked, they need to cash in and lock in some profits and they got in on those tokens cheaper than you did. So you gotta beware. All right, David. So what are you excited about this week, man? 
uh, tomorrow we record with uh, Kobe with Crypto Cobain, uh, and so that I, I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Um, there's been some Twitter spats, fr- friendly, friendly-ish Twitter spats between us and Kobe uh, beforehand, uh, before this. Uh, but he was amicable enough to come on the show, and so we're recording with him tomorrow, and that episode comes out on Monday. Um, I've already shared the agenda with him, and he was like, "Oh, it's pretty good," and there are some hot questions in there, uh, so it's going to be a fun show. You know, I actually think there's a lot of shared values between Bankless and Kobe, but um, you know, Kobe definitely takes more of the I'm a narrative investor, I'm a trader right. side of the spectrum, where we we take the more fundamentals, long term approach. So um, I don't I don't think we disagree on mm-hmm. as much. We I just think have our, different our dispositions are styles. definitely different. Yeah, our styles are yeah. very very <laughs> different, and maybe that's where where and why we butt heads. But overall, I'm yeah. looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I do have a lot of respect for him too. So that that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what are you excited about? Uh, dude, I'm I'm just excited to have my electricity back and my internet back. Uh, it was it was a mess. Like for, you mean you, know, you, hours. you yourself be back online? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes, yes, that's what I mean. But like, also just like I I realize this is a first world problem, right? It's like um, being without the internet for 48 hours. Okay, well you'll survive, Ryan. Like, right. and that's totally true. But like, it also always makes me think, uh, man, what would it be like if society like totally broke down right. and we lost electricity, Everything. lost yeah. internet? Like how long could I last? Right. And that in that sort of a situation, the truth is like, not very damn long. <laughs> like, uh, and you know, I, I I thought about other things too. It's like from a crypto perspective, um, you know, crypto really doesn't work when the electricity is off, of course. But the interesting thing about that is, um, neither neither do gold ETFs, right? Neither <laughs> does your bank account. Like just like nothing works. And mm-hmm. I, I know that's been an early critique over things like crypto. It's like, well, what happens if the internet? powers down or electricity turns off you don't have crypto well the truth is you really don't have anything right when those two things happen and the, in fact if the internet do. turns off like parts of the internet can turn off and completely cripple the banking system uh, totally. and if We're only screwed. parts of the internet turns off bitcoin and ethereum still are online exactly next time mm-hmm. there's some internet connectivity established you can kind of do it. so I, I sort of asked myself like what would I do if this was sort of a, a you know persistent scenario? This was a real disaster and this spanned like weeks or months or something like this. What would I want to hold? And it's not going to be gold ETFs, right? right? Because mm-hmm. what use are those? Right. It's like family, it's friends, and it's food. Yeah. That's what you're doing and, and a nice in a house. real crisis. And a nice house. And, yeah, shelter, right? Yeah. And a nice house, uh, ideally. Um, so I, I guess it just impressed upon me that society is built on... You know, crypto is built on many different technologies, but like all of society is also built on top of these technologies. And I think crypto is much more resilient than it first appears. It's at least resilient as just about everything else in society, right? Um, well, so it's, it's supposed to be the, the most resilient thing on the internet after yeah, like SMT, exactly. SMTIP or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After, after like the TCP IP core yeah. internet protocols, you know, there, there's crypto and that will persist. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, it's, uh, I'm fine. Internet's back up. I'm connected. Electricity's here. Uh, but, AI um, back online. Yeah, AI back online. <laughs> but it's good good to go through that experience, I think, once in a while, right? It's like, totally. uh, makes you think about things like this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you ready for Meme of the Week, man? Meme of the Week, yeah, absolutely. This was uh, this is my meme this week, which I'm very, very stoked well, that I had a successful meme. This is for, meme. first, though. Mm-hmm. This is a meme that we talked about in the last show. Uh-huh. Uh, and this was a Jack Dorsey anti-Web3 meme. Maybe we should right. talk about that one first. Yeah, so I wrote in Market Monday this week uh, what Jack doesn't get about Web3, which I I some, tried to summarize all the arguments that I could about why Jack is just basically completely backwards about Web3 incentives. Jack this is Jack think, Dorsey, th- yes. the 
founder, co-founder of Twitter yes. and also uh, CEO of Square. Yeah. Jack thinks that Web3 is just this Silicon Valley VC marketing term because it's really, really hot and they can make a lot of money off of it. And so all these Web3 companies are just pouring capital into Silicon Valley VCs because all these VCs are giving them all their money, leaving very, very little for retail. So we, Web3 is a VC-led uh, endeavor is what Jack's critique of. And in my opinion, it's the exact opposite. And I know it's not perfect, but like, hey, let's think about web two. And here's where the meme comes in. So it's the same meme that, uh, I need to explain the, the first meme for the listeners. Uh, so the, the meme is that there's this water pipe and it's being uh, coming out of Ethereum. And the water pipe is labeled web three. And this water pipe is just flowing water into the mouths of very fat and happy Silicon Valley VCs, while this extremely famished retail individual is just opening his mouth for these mere droplets that are just accidentally leaking out of the pipe. And so that's that's Jack's claim on, on Web3, is retail is just left in the sidelines. Uh, and so again, I think this is completely backwards from reality. So I made this alternative version of the meme, where instead of small little droplets being dropped off and going into the mouths of retail, it's actually just hearts and likes coming out of the web two pipe and so the web two pipe is flowing money into silicon valley vcs as jack says it was for web three but instead of retail getting droplets in web two world you just get hearts and likes like here's here's what you get out of web two you get a like i get to like your thing dopamine hits dopamine hits yeah so so no money and jack completely ignores and i write about this in the article jack completely ignores how airdrops are a fundamental component of web three and people have gotten over a million dollars worth of airdrops from Web3 endeavors. And how also, I, I make the claim that like, uh, Jack says that like VCs, you, you, Web3 will never be able to escape VC in- incentives. I make the claim that Web3 platforms that put more and more capital into the hands of retail do better. Think about ENS and how beloved ENS is. All ne- Zero VCs, all retail. Uh, and so I think that Jack just has this completely backwards. And so this is the new meme that I think is far more accurate of reality. Yeah, it's a good take. Look, so you know silicon valley vcs got very fat and happy off of web 2 but i th- i think the the true genius of this meme is like what did retail get out of the to- whole web 2 movement right mm-hmm. uh like likes and hearts and yep. their attention kind of stolen right and yep. like dopamine addictions that's kind of what where we are mm-hmm. in the, in the cycle certainly didn't get any equity didn't get any token drops yep. uh, so that's the meme of the week that is the meme of the week All right, guys, this has been the first roll-up of 2022. Welcome to 2022. We're glad that you're with us. As always, none of this has been financial advice. ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. So is Bitcoin. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.